Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Bless God. Did anybody have anything during worship that you saw or wanted to share? When we started singing, um, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, I just felt a wind and not just the fans. I mean, a real, what they used to say, Holy Ghost chills. Uh (laughs) Um, I felt like his presence came in in a mighty way and that's because he he was impressing upon me that he wants us to boldly declare his kingdom every day in our lives every situation we're going through literally speak that i declare yeshua's kingdom come kingdom come because yeshua said you know the kingdom is within us it's righteousness peace and joy that it's within us, but it's also to come. So it's among us, but it's to come. But I felt him impressed, and I've had that on my heart lately, that declare my kingdom over your situations, and just when you pray, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. He is very much about his kingdom, and that's just, that's what I believe. He wants us to be bold about it, bold to declare his kingdom. I mean, be bold in the face of Hasatan, all the evil going on everywhere. We have his power, his mm-hmm. kingdom. Let's bring it forth. That's, that's what's been on my heart and what I saw. Amen. Declare it and expect it. Amen. I just seem to seem like every song in some way, shape, or form is reminding us of, of God working in our lives and what he's doing and where he's taking us. And there was that one song, House of the Lord, where it talked about, oh, there's, God gives us a way. There's always a way and a path. It's like, no matter what in your life, there's always, if, if you look, if your eyes are open, your heart's ready to receive, there's always a better way, a better decision. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of some studies I did years ago. Um, the Torah, in its pictorial form, is a finger pointing, this is the way to go. And it's beautiful, because isn't that right? Because whenever we go to the left or the right, we're in trouble. But whenever we listen, literally going, it reminds me of my children, you know, and sometimes when you're trying to point at something, okay, look, it's right here, but they're looking around. They're not looking at where I'm pointing. They're just looking. And until they look at me, they don't know where I'm pointing. And that's the thing. Until we look at God, we don't know where he's pointing. And so that's what I really felt God was saying is that in all these situations we go through in life, if you're not looking for that way, I'm taking you. If you're not looking for what I'm doing, Sure, you'll get through life, but it's not going to really be my way. It's going to be your way. And it's going to be more difficulty to that way. And so God just, just reminded me that I, I am working even if you can't see it yet. Amen. You know, or if you can't see all the details of it yet, it's, it's coming. So, yeah. Amen. Wonderful. Yeah, it's, you mentioned the guiding aspect. It's, he's directing us. He directs us with his word, with his spirit. You know, it's funny, uh, we have the kids come up for a blessing beforehand, and we hold up the talit, the canopy, for them to come under, right? And that's a symbol of God's covering and protection over them. And normally we'll kind of shift and get over the kids, but today we told the kids to move where the covering was, and that's a message for us. It's 
place yourself under the Lord's covering. He's directing you where to go. And that's the place of his presence and, and his provision. Amen. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, confirm what Latrina was saying about the, uh, the spirit flowing through. Because uh, when she said that, I just kind of smiled because there was a soft, gentle wind just flowing now. I don't know if it was just our row here that the spirit just went. I hope everybody else felt what I felt. But as soon as she said that, that just confirmed, it, you know, God is here with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, to let everyone know that, you know, no matter what we're going through, we have to keep the faith. That's the whole thing of, of, about reading his word is believing. It will be on the shadow of a doubt. Everything in his word, all the books. People look look at the you know at the uh, testimonies like the fairy tales, but if you take it to heart and know that every word in there is from God, that and keep our faith, stay strong in prayer with whatever storms we're going through, that God's going to see everything through it through the power of prayer. Amen. Amen. I teach at a university, and we started last week, and um, before I went, I felt God impressing upon my heart that there was something he needed me to do, but it wasn't quite clear. Well, one of the students in my class, I asked them to tell me their names and then give me something unique about them, and um, she told me she was an atheist and that she had um, a white older male living inside of her. And I just felt like that was God saying, you will work in her life through this semester to bring her to me. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. And you know, when the Lord reveals something, it's because he's ready to deal with it. He's ready to move. And so when he gives us revelation on spiritual matters or something like that, um, it's an invitation for us to join with him in what he's doing, whether that's through prayer or however the spirit leads. But the key thing is saying, Lord, I'm a willing vessel. Now use me, show me what to say, when to say it, how to say it. And let's see your kingdom manifest in this situation. So it's all coming together right there. Amen. Thank you for sharing. And may God bless you as you minister this semester. Anyone else? Wonderful. Praise God. Well, the king is in the field, right? Um, Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that here uh, in the message. Okay, so today's portion is Kitetze. And as you read this portion, you find it is just commandment after commandment after commandment throughout the whole portion. And at times I try to go and say, well, what's an overall theme but I'm, I'm not going to do that this week. Instead, I think that what we're focusing on is returning a lost item. And I think in connection, I think that the words that were spoken before here are somewhat tied into it in that right now we're in seven weeks of consolation that run from Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, through Yom Kippur. It's seven weeks of God comforting his people and giving them hope for a redemption to come. 
They've gone through a tough period. They've gone through trials, the three weeks uh, that were between the straits, between the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av. And after that period of mourning, there is the hope and expectation that God will take our mourning and turn it to joy. And so for seven weeks, we read from the book of Isaiah, various passages of God saying that he's going to bring the redemption, even though there has been trial, there's hope, there's something, there's restoration that is coming. And so we're in this time that is a period of restoration, of looking forward to what God is doing. And it's known as the time when the king is in the field, when God is out amongst his people in a greater measure to seek and to save that which was lost, to connect with those who have been far off or who those, with those who have been struggling and bring them to a new place in him. And so it's a time that is said, it's an opportunity, an open door to draw near to God as he's drawing near to us. And so this week, we're going to focus on the topic of returning a lost item. And that the reason why I feel like this is all connected is because there are all different forms of lost items that need to be returned. Okay, one of which is us to the Father, right? Now, when I speak of that, um, there can be various degrees of that. There can be those who are lost and have never known the Lord who need to be brought to him. There are those who have known him but have backslidden, have drawn back in their walk who need to be brought back to him. There are those of us who just day by day, we need repentance and turning back to the Lord because any time that we have moved away from him, even to one degree, the left or the right, there is a return that needs to take place. And so any time that we're doing that, any time that we're moving into shuva and repentance, we're really a, a lost item is being restored to, in some measure. So we're going to start in a book that we may not have ever read here uh, at Emmaus Road. And I'm speaking of the book of Philemon. Have you ever read the book of Philemon? And can you really even call it a book? Um, <laughs> it's 25 verses. It was a personal letter written from, from Paul to Philemon. Now, within the Bible, we have several personal letters that, that Paul wrote, but even this one is unique in that, you know, if you were to read the, the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, there's a lot of instruction of Christian living and, and uh, governance of the body of Messiah and, you know, how to really walk out a life of faith. And, but in the book of Philemon, uh, I don't know, you, there's, there's not a lot of that. Instead, it's really a personal request that Paul is making to Philemon. And so, you know, when the people were establishing the canon and they were deciding, okay, well, this book should be included for this and this one for that, they probably came to Philemon and said, well, Paul did write it, so it's in. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm joking, of course, but I, I know there's a reason for its inclusion beyond just Paul wrote it. Um, but I think we have to dig a little deeper to understand more of, well, why was it included? And, and I think we'll find a little bit in this week's portion on that. So let's go ahead and read Philemon uh, verses 1 through 25. We're going to read the whole thing. And in that way, today, you can say you've read an entire book of the Bible. 
Okay, so Paul, a prisoner for Messiah Yeshua, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua Messiah. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Yeshua and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Messiah. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Messiah to command you to do what is required, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, or actually another translation is an ambassador, and now a prisoner also for Messiah Yeshua, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. And a little side note here, Paul's using some wordplay because Onesimus means useful. Okay, so he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me because of his uh, ministering the gospel to Onesimus. All right, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be, my, might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my very own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Messiah. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Messiah Yeshua, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Yeshua Messiah be with your spirit. Okay, so we read the, the, uh, the book of Philemon, and the general overview is that Paul has met Onesimus by some way while Paul was imprisoned and led him to know Messiah. Now, the, the whole story of who Onesimus is and his relationship with Philemon is not fully known. Okay, because we really only have what's written here in this book. But most scholars would say that Onesimus had been an escaped or had been a slave who had left Philemon, fled from him. Perhaps he, you know, there, there's conjecture. It's like, well, did he steal something on the way out? And that's why Paul says, I'll pay back anything he owes. Uh, there's questions of, was he actually a, a, a physical brother of Philemon? Because he says he would be, a brother not only in your flesh but in the Lord? Or was he a, um, of the nations? You know, it's, it's really unknown, but most scholars tend to think that he was a, uh, a Gentile slave who had fled his master 
had now encountered Paul and through Paul had come to know Yeshua as his savior. And now Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon and intercedes for Onesimus, asking Philemon to set him free and no longer hold him as a slave and to charge anything to, that was owed to Paul's account. And, it, and in the end, we don't see here from the letter that Onesimus was released, but, but the assumption is that he was because he is mentioned also in Colossians 4.9 as being one of the faithful of the brothers. And also even the fact that the letter was preserved seems to testify that Philemon took the advice and set Onesimus free. Okay, so that's the overall story, the best I can tell of what was going on with Philemon. But now let's look at our portion and let's try to understand a little bit more because there's some questions that come up here. Paul is a long way from Colossae, okay, which is where it's assumed that Philemon is from. And yet he sends Onesimus back even though Paul wishes to keep him with him for the sake of the gospel. And so let's look in Deuteronomy 22. Verses 1 through 8, I'm going to just read several verses. This is going to kind of demonstrate how there are many commandments in this, in this portion. He says, You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing that is of your brother's, which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. You shall not, seek your brother, you shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you and that you may live long. When you build a new house, you shall not make a parapet or you shall make a parapet for your roof that, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Okay, so we have our long list of this. That was a short list of commandments, right? But that's how this portion is, is just list after list. And in this one, it began, this passage began with returning a lost item, and it spoke of a lost animal. Um, it could be any kind of a lost item to return to the rightful owner. And so when it comes to the case of a slave who has fled his owner, Paul has now encountered a lost item, and so it's his duty to restore it to the one who is the rightful owner. And so even though it was a long distance, he knew who the owner was, where he was, and he was in communication with the congregations there. So he sent a letter with Anisimus to Philemon returning a lost item. But it's not actually as simple as that. And by the way, this is a theory. Okay, so... This is just my, uh, this is what I'm seeing in the, in the passage, so I'm sharing it with you. But okay, let's look at Deuteronomy 23, 15 to 16, also in this week's portion. 
He says, you shall not... He says, you shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns. Wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. So now we have a bit of a conundrum, right? Because here there's a command to return a lost item, who Onesimus is. But then there's also a command not to give up a master, give up to his master, a slave who has escaped to you. Now, within this, there, there's, there's uh, multiple levels of complexity to it that we may, may come to, because there's even the question of when a, when a slave has escaped, what is, what's the Torah talking about? Some say that it's if uh, someone is delivered, like if there's a battle going on, and a slave escapes from his master of a foreign nation and, and comes to the Jewish people, then they should not return that slave to the master because that would re be returning them to a life of idolatry. Um, others speak of it, well, there's, there's other theories too of, well, in what situation does this apply? So it's not exactly a clear cut, but I see in here there's a tension between what should Paul be doing. And there's another passage in this week's portion that might give some clarity to it. And that's Deuteronomy 22, 11 through 12. And the scripture says, You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together, and you shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. So that about clears it up, doesn't it? <laughs> that doesn't really clear it up much, does it? Okay. And it actually is the right verses. I didn't put the wrong verses into the, into the machine today. So this is good. This passage actually does help to bring about some clarity. But we have to understand a little bit of what's going on here in order to, to see it. Okay, so the scripture says, You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. <clears throat> and then it also says, You shall make tassels on the four corners of the garments with which you cover yourself. There's actually a contradiction taking place between these two verses, but it's not readily apparent unless you know how the tassels that go on the four corners of the garments are made. Okay, so there's when the tassels are made, there are linen strips of white, and there is a blue cord of, it's a tehillic cord, right? We know it to be blue. And it is actually a piece of wool. Okay? So you have wool and linen together within the tzitzit. And even if the white cords were made of something else, say they were, say they were wool, okay? Or some other fabric. You have a cord of blue wool that's supposed to be attached to any garment that you wear. If your garment is linen, you would still attach the tzitzit to the garment. And now you would have a garment that is both wool and linen. And so there's a challenge here. You're not supposed to wear those together, but you're supposed to put tassels on the four corners. And so what the sages note here is that within these verses, they're put next to each other to highlight a general rule in that a positive commandment takes precedent over a negative commandment. Okay, so the, the, the command here to put tassels on the corners of your garments supersedes the commandment of not mixing wool and linen together. That doesn't mean that you now go freely mix wool and linen together. 
But what it says is when the condition arises that you would have a linen garment, you would still put the tzitzit on it and you would fulfill the positive commandment and set aside the negative commandment in order to carry out Torah appropriately. And we do find that in many other times in the scripture as well. We've talked about pekuach nefesh, right? The preservation of life. When the preservation of life is at hand, it takes precedent over other commandments, such as uh, plucking grain and rubbing it with your hands on the Sabbath, or even healing on the Sabbath. The command to preserve life supersedes not doing those works on Shabbat, because preservation of life that people may observe future Shabbats is greater than the prohibitions of Shabbat. Okay, so here it's the same kind of thing. Now, if we were to look at the two, at the two commands that we read earlier, saying you shall return a lost item to your brother, that's a positive command, and you shall not turn over a master to the slave, or the slave to the master from whom he fled, that's a negative commandment. So the positive commandment would actually rule in this case. So Paul sends Onesimus back to restore the lost item, but at the same time intercedes on Onesimus's behalf in encouraging Philemon to set him free and to have all of his debts wiped out just as Philemon himself had received mercy from God through the ministry of Paul. And so Paul, when he sends Onesimus back with this letter, he's returning the lost item, but then he's also reminding Philemon of where he came from, who he is in Messiah, and who Onesimus is in Messiah. And then Paul says, I'll give what's needed to make things right. I'll help, I'll help encourage you to know who you are, to know who your brother is, and to show the same mercy you've been shown. And if you need a little encouragement, remember what I've done and what I'm offering on his behalf. It's a beautiful picture of intercession, provision, reconciliation, and, uh, and the ability for one to give grace to another just as they've been shown grace. <clears throat> so I feel like that's an underlying theme within Philemon, and it's, it's a different kind of restoring a lost item, but it has pictures within it of the restoration that we have through Yeshua, our Messiah, the grace given to us with him paying our debts such that we can be reconciled with the Father. And another story that really paints a, a good picture like this is from Luke 15. should be a story that's very familiar to you. In Luke 15, verse 11, Yeshua was speaking, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of, of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, 
He said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So this story of the prodigal son is a powerful story. It has so many elements that can speak to us as children of God in our walk of life along the way. Even of what we were speaking of in the words before about hope arising, right? You have this son who in a way despised his father and said, give me my inheritance. I desire it more than you. And he went out to seek his own and to find, find his own way in life apart from his father. And he did not walk in the ways of his father, right? He spent it all on loose living and indulgence. And things didn't go well for him, right? They didn't go well. He found himself desiring to eat what the pigs ate. And even then in that desire, he could not get that. Right? The scripture said, and no one gave him anything. And it was at that point of despair and hunger and really a lack of hope that the scripture said, and he came to himself. Now, when it says he came to himself, I don't even know that he came to a full recognition of all that he had done. Because his response was, well, even the servants in my father's house have food. I could go there and, and get food. You know, I'll go and seek my father's mercy. And I don't know, somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, I'm sure the Lord was working on his heart to bring a restoration to him. And it may have come step by step. It may, be, may have come little by little on his journey. But even while he was still far off, right? The scripture says, he had, his, you know, he had his plan. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Okay, so that's great. He's coming to a place of repentance to some degree. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And while he was still a long way off, while he was still on the journey, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him, embraced him and kissed him. And notice he hadn't even said everything that he had, desired, he had planned to say to his father at this point. The mere act of him turning from his ways and seeking to come back to his father stirred up compassion in his father who ran to him, ran to him, 
than just say, okay, I'm going to stand here and wait and see if he comes the rest of the way. Because I don't know, he might turn around. He's been known to do that. No, the king was in the field. The king was in the field and said, I see my son coming. I see that he's turned and I'm going to go and I'm going to meet him. He's drawing near, I'm drawing near. And not only, not only that, I'm going to embrace him and kiss him as a father kisses a son. Now then, even in that midst, right? So that encounter happens, and the son still walked in his humility. You know, because there could have been a temptation in that moment to say, oh, seems like everything's okay. You know, maybe we can just go on as usual. But no, he said, Father, I've, I've sinned. He went forward with his confession before his father. And, and his father quickly said, it's time to celebrate. Put a robe, put the best robe on him and put a ring on his hand, right? That ring on his hand and the robe on him, that's reestablishment. And put shoes on his feet, his inheritance restored. Wow. Wow. And his response was, my son was dead, but now he's alive. He's alive because he turned back in repentance and came back to his father. See, what was really happening is the spirit was moving in this prodigal son, in his place of despair, in his place of lack of hope, and beginning to help him to see what his next step should be. the spirit acting on behalf of the prodigal son and on behalf of the father to return the lost item to his father. And you know, we see this picture in the life of Yeshua, right? In Luke 19, verses 9 and 10, Yeshua says that he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And it's somewhere in here, but it's further along. Actually, no, it's not in there. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I think I left that part out. But he said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's, he's drawing, when Yeshua says, says that, he's drawing from Ezekiel 34. Actually, no, 33, I think. Let me double check. No, it's 30, 34. When in verse 15 and 16, he says, I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. But God's desire is to seek out that which is lost, to bring restoration. And even in the midst of despair and lack of hope, God encounters his people. Even in places of exile, right? Israel sent into exile. Judah sent into exile. But God says, I'll go with you into exile, and I'll bring you back for sure. I will not leave you as orphans. And so he ministered to us by his spirit to bring back those who have fallen, to bring those who are far off and have never known, right? Right? to show them the way of life. 
and to show that his salvation is to Israel and to Judah and to all the nations, right? Because Yeshua was given for all the nations to establish the covenant with Israel and with Judah and to graft in those who are of the nations into the covenant, into everlasting life through Yeshua. And in that, there's a promise of restoration that's still taking place, right? We see the kingdom expanding. And as Latrina said earlier, we're to declare the kingdom and to expect God to move on behalf of us, of our neighbor, and those who are far off to bring his kingdom into their lives and have it fully established on the earth. And part of that, part of that uh, process, we get to play through representing Yeshua, through representing Yeshua in our lives, in our words, in our declarations. And we share with those who are of the nations who've never known, but we also share with the, with the children of Israel who do not yet know Messiah. And when we share the love of Messiah with the nation of Israel who don't yet know him, we're returning a lost item to the Jewish people. Because Yeshua came to the Jewish people. Salvation is from the Jews. And many, tens of thousands, received him in his day and after his death and resurrection. But far more have rejected him as Messiah and have not come to know who he is, even though he is the Messiah of Israel. And at this point, though, he's lost to them because they're unable to recognize who he is. Some of, his inab of their inability to recognize him for who he is comes from history. It comes from the ways that Yeshua has been represented to the Jewish people, to the way that uh, faith in Yeshua has been uh, presented with regard to the Torah, with regard to the covenant, even with regard to persecution of the Jews. Many obstacles have been put in the way that would prevent Jewish people from coming to know that Yeshua is Messiah. But the obstacles are made by the enemy and made by man. And that, those, those things which are made by the enemy and made by man will be destroyed by the works of God. They will be torn down. They are being torn down even today as more and more Jewish people are coming to know who Yeshua is as the Messiah. And as God is pouring out revelation to his people of who Messiah is, what the Torah is, and what the covenant looks like, and how we can walk in faithfulness and represent Yeshua rightly. And it really is amazing how much the Spirit is revealing this. And even I've heard many people... Uh, as this awareness is increasing, even speak of the show The Chosen and how his, it has impacted so many people to recognize the Jewishness of Yeshua and to understand him in a greater context and then be able to engage in greater dialogue. God is looking to bring unity across his whole body. Okay? You have Christians, you have Jews, and you have some people who are somewhere in between who are serving as a bridge, which is what Emmaus Road is walking in, to help to be a bridge to, to 
represent Yeshua rightly to the Christians, to help Christians understand him better, to represent Yeshua rightly to the Jewish people, to help them understand the Messiah. It's really restoring lost items to both groups. Okay? And there's a unity that is growing. There's an understanding that's increasing. And God is on the move to bring this because he's not looking for division. He's looking for unity within the body that the two, well, the two sticks of Israel and Judah coming together is one thing. There's also, we can see it as the two sticks of Christianity and Jews coming together as one as well, right? But God is in, on the move and he is doing this in anticipation of sending his son the second time to come and bring a great redemption. And he's saying, are you preparing the field for the return of Yeshua? Are you restoring the lost items? Because the call to bring, to bring the restoration of the lost items is a great calling. Yeshua, we see it in such a great degree with him coming, taking on flesh and offering himself up so that those who are dead might live. So that those who were dead and lost to the Father could be restored to the Father. Because you know all of us are made in the image of God. And when we come back to know God, that lost item, his image is being restored, being restored to him. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture that we're given. And it's a, it's a positive command to return the lost item. So when you share the love of Messiah, you're actually walking in this. You're actually walking and fulfilling the commandments of the Lord. And as we go along in this this journey of, of doing this, of um, restoring lost items. There's hope that's being restored to people, just as it was to the prodigal son, just as it has been uh, to Israel, as they've been in exile, but have seen the nation of Israel restored. And God's still in the process of bringing a restoration there in the land of Israel and anticipation of bringing those from all the corners of the earth back to the inheritance. And, and God gives his encouragement in the midst of the difficulty and the trial. And as I mentioned, we're in these seven weeks of consolation, seven weeks of consolation. We're reading from Isaiah. Well, this week's Heftarah from Isaiah 54 It actually speaks a lot to what we're talking about. So I'm going to read in Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 10. Sing out, O barren one, who has not given birth. Break out into glad song and be jubilant, O one who, has, or, o one who had no labor pains. For the children of the desolate outnumber the children of the inhabited, says the Lord. So here it is. He's opening up to a people who are in distress. And he's saying there's joy in the house of the Lord today, just like we sang earlier, right? And he's saying, O barren one, break out into glad song and be jubilant. How? Right? The barren one, he's saying, no, there's still joy in the house, even though you sit in this, because there's hope on the horizon. There's something that I'm doing and bringing about. Now you walk in the joy and sing out in glad song and be jubilant and even call forth that which 
isn't as though it were. Right? Okay, broaden the place of your tent and stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Stint not, lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For southward and northward you shall spread out mightily. Your offspring will inherit nations and they will settle desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be shamed. Do not feel humiliated, for you will not be mortified. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the mortification of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your master is your maker. The Lord, master of legions, is his name. Your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. God of all the world shall he be called. For like a wife who had been forsaken and of melancholy spirit will the Lord have called you. And like a wife of one's youth who had become despised, said your God. But for a brief moment have I forsaken you, and with abundant mercy shall I gather you in. With a slight wrath have I concealed my countenance from you for a moment, but with eternal kindness shall I show you mercy, said your Redeemer, the Lord. For like the waters of Noah shall this be to me, as I have sworn never again to pass the waters of Noah over the earth, so have I sworn not to be wrathful with you or rebuke you. For the mountains may be moved and the hills may falter, but my kindness shall not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace shall not falter, says the one who shows you mercy, the Lord. Amen. What he says that all is not lost. Prepare and see what God is going to do. And in his abundant mercy, he gathers his people back in. In his abundant mercy, he brings his children back to him by the power of his spirit. So there's hope. There's hope and there's restoration. And so in this time that the king is in the field, let us return to the Lord with all our hearts and let's walk as agents of restoration as those who help to restore the lost items and seek God while he may be found. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you want to share? I was, I was sitting there thinking that... Um, Onision was returned to Philemon, but they were brothers at that point because they were brothers in the faith. Mm -hmm. A little different than returning somebody who's just escaped from an adulterous nation and um, is going to go back to, to that captivity. Mm -hmm. So that's the one thing that came to mind to me. Yeah, absolutely. That would be an element of even Paul's reasoning for why Philemon should set Onesimus free. He said, he's your brother in the Lord and, and treat him as such. Give him the mercy that you've been given. You were a slave who's been set free, set free this slave. Amen. Anyone else? Um, great lesson today, Chris, and this is one of those teachings that I, I reminded me of all the other years that I've taught, and when you get into a passage where there's so many connections and so many beautiful things, and I was sitting there, I was reading Philemon, which I haven't read in a while, of course, we usually skip, we forget it's even there, but there's a beautiful theme of hospitality, and we don't really think about that much because the Western world doesn't quite understand hospitality like the Eastern world. There's a lot of redemption and grace and stuff built into hospitality and the way they understood things. In fact, in many parts of the Eastern world, it's still like that today. 
And you see, because Ephesians 2 tells us, like, like he said, that this was now, Onesimus was fulfilling his purpose. He went from useless to useful, you know, and, and, he, and Ephesians 2 said that now he's a citizen of the kingdom. He's no longer a slave to be treated a certain way. And again, I know slavery was different then, but still, there was still a different, you know, understanding of who they were in the family. And, and to be restored that way, and for what Paul was con- appealing to that understanding of redemption, of hospitality, of grace is beautiful, but also holding him to a place of righteousness. Because Yeshua didn't say, you are healed, go sin more. He said, you're healed, go sin no more. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have grace without a call to righteousness and truth. It's not, we have to be careful, because a lot of times we want, well, God's so gracious to us. And I guarantee you, when the father took the son back in, you know, in the prodigal son, he didn't take him in to come and ruin his family and to come destroy it. He brought him in in grace, but with an expectation of the honor that he was extending to him that it would be lived out. The pictures are beautiful, beautiful, because in that culture, the prodigal son was no longer a son. He was literally not part of the family anymore. And to be brought in with that kind of grace and mercy is just incredible. Mm -hmm. So there's just, there's so much beauty in, in these, in what God does for us and uh, just how much he shows us how things are so connected to his righteousness, his grace, his truth. And that's why it's so important to see all of God's word as one message from God to his people. Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Anyone else? All right, let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you for your goodness and the kindness that you've shown us. Thank you, Lord, that such wonderful mercy has been extended to us, Lord, and that by the power of your spirit, you call us back to you, Lord, to restore that which was lost. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, you'd renew our relationship with you, our relationships with each other, Lord, that you would come and move on our behalf, Lord. We thank you for your nearness and thank you for your move this morning as was described in the words that were shared before. Lord, that you are here in this place. And again, we say, come and have your way. May you be glorified, magnified in our midst, Lord. We thank you and give you glory in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.